Good morning. I'm uh, Paul, and I'm looking out at you. I think I've been a member of this church longer than some of you have been alive. Uh, this is now the 38th consecutive Christmas that Helen and I have been here. Woohoo! Anyway, I had no idea when I signed up to do this talk on conflict that this was going to be the week of the general election. Uh, but this is the fourth and final session of our series, uh, Better Together. We've had a session on how we're all wired up differently, where you probably got to take away a coloured card of your personality, temperament, type, if you were here. Then uh, Karen dealt with uh, what we do with expectations that are different from reality. How do we fill that gap? Do we fill it with trust or with suspicion? Uh, and then Chris talked to us about uh, a couple of weeks ago about how we receive feedback. It's not how we give feedback, but how we receive feedback and uh, how we might do a better job of that. And today, handling conflict. Now, you can get all of this stuff on fbcnext.com, of course, uh, together with individual personal reflection and discussion questions for small groups if you want to do that. So uh, avail yourself of that if you would like. Now, conflict, of course, is everywhere, not just because of the general election. Christmas is actually a classic time for family conflict, isn't it? And I'm not a betting man, but I'd be willing to bet that some of you had an argument on the way here to church, uh, or maybe at home before church. Because, you know, it doesn't matter whether you've got faith or not. Conflict just happens in human relationships. We are imperfect humans, and... Uh, we have different temperaments, we have different approaches, we have different opinions, different ideas, different responses, and so conflict is inevitable. Helen and I have been married for 42 years, and so you can imagine we've had quite a few arguments in that time. Fortunately, none of them terminal, but uh, nevertheless, there is a pattern to our arguments. And I think three things generally happen. First, one, often somebody gets hurt, Secondly, one or both people sometimes feel they've had enough and just want to kind of feel like they want to leave for a while. And then thirdly, the issue we're arguing about often doesn't get resolved at the first attempt. It takes forgiveness and reconciliation and then more careful listening and understanding to make real progress and make peace. And my guess is that your experiences are probably similar to that. Actually, for many people, uh, the conflict never even gets aired because we are scared of it. There's this underlying unspoken tension that festers and, and gets worse. And when conflict is not handled well, when it's not tackled well it, or, or resolved, it can lead to dysfunction in all sorts of environments, dysfunctional workplaces, dysfunctional marriages, dysfunctional parenting, and even dysfunctional churches. So, learning a better way to handle conflict is really sensible and wise. And if I told you that in 25 minutes I could teach you everything you need to know to uh, resolve conflict, you'd think I was nuts and you'd be right. But what if I told you I could teach you something that would enable you to handle conflict better without destroying relationships? Would you be interested in that? I think most people would. Because the climate of our relationships improves when conflict is managed well and not ignored. 
Now, the wisest man who ever lived, apart from Jesus, that is, was called King Solomon. He asked God for wisdom and received it. And he wrote down a lot of his wisdom in Proverbs, which we now have in, in our Bible. And today we're going to look at one of these Proverbs that is actually relevant to handling conflict. This is what it says. Never let something and something leave you. Tie them round your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people, and you will earn a good reputation. Something and something will mean that you find favor with God and people and earn a good reputation. Well, I'd like some of that, wouldn't you? I mean, I'm sure we all want this, even if we're not sure whether God exists. We want to grow in favor with people, and if that means we grow in favor with God as well, well, that's great. So what are these two key words? What could it be in a conflict situation that gets both God and people on side? Well, before I tell you, I want to ask whether you're somebody who enjoys conflict or somebody who avoids conflict. I don't know whether you recognize yourself in either of those two descriptions, because these are two extremes of attitude. Someone has said there are two types of people in the world, those who divide the world into two types of people and those who don't. No, there are conflict enjoyers and there are conflict avoiders. And we tend to sit somewhere along that scale. Now, who can you think of who is a conflict enjoyer? Russell Brand. What about Russell? He's always arguing with people, isn't he? Nice guy, actually, very bright guy. But I think he's a conflict enjoyer. Or if you're in my generation, uh, somebody like John Humphreys, you know, just retired from the Radio 4 Today program. When they interviewed him, he said, I just love arguing. (laughs) That was him, John Humphreys. Conflict enjoyers. They love the ding-dong of a lively debate. They love the energy, the buzz that's released in that. They love the action. And while the other person is trying to respond, they practice what I call predatory listening. You know, they're just waiting to jump in and rebuff and argue and attack, faster talking, louder talking, or an attitude of even putting down the other person. You see, a lot of that kind of behavior in the media, don't you? But people who enjoy conflict can shut other people down and damage the relational climate because their aggressive energy, their combative behavior just causes hurt. And because it makes the other people feel they're they're not really being listened to. Now, personally, I'm the opposite. I, I avoid conflict. I'm a conflict avoider. But I wish I was better at it because there are some times when I I do need to step up and engage with something. It's a bit ironic, really, because uh, at university I was the chairman of debates. uh, But when I thought about that, I realized that debating is making speeches in a planned sort of way. And it's not the planned intellectual debates that bug me. It's the unplanned emotional arguments with people who are closest with me. Because that very closeness often means that my guard is down and I'm more easily hurt. I'm sure you'd be the same. I like intellectual debate, but I don't like conflict because I find it too emotionally draining. And as a conflict avoider, I can fall into the, uh, the trap of ducking the issue. Do you ever do that? Ducking the issue. There's something that doesn't feel quite right about that, isn't there? 
You know, it's a, it's a lack of emotional honesty, really. With conflict avoiders like me, there's often this feeling of, a, of an elephant in the room. And if an issue comes up, I, I can just appease the other person, you know, to avoid conflict. And I, I go on appeasing them until I get to a point where they've pushed me beyond where I want to go. And then all of a sudden, all that bottled up emotional resistance that I've been suppressing suddenly overflows and I come back with a disproportionately or verbally vicious response and I flip and I become like a conflict enjoyer and hurt the other person and damage the relationship. So people like me who avoid conflict may seem more peaceful on the surface, apparently easier to get on with, but we have a different problem. We don't name the issues. So nothing ever gets resolved, and that's relationally bad. It's relationally bad. People who avoid conflict can often have a sort of superficiality about their relationships. And then a kind of uneasy quiet emerges, a sort of suppressed, cold type of energy that undermines trust. Just as damaging as the hurt of a conflict enjoyer. So, the reality is that both conflict enjoyers and conflict avoiders can both damage relationships. So we need Solomon's wisdom here. This is what this is about. This proverb speaks to both the conflict enjoyers and the conflict avoiders. And if you're a conflict enjoyer, the first word is especially for you. And if you're a conflict avoider, the second word applies to you. Never let kindness and loyalty leave you. Never let kindness and loyalty leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people and you will earn a good reputation. Now, practicing kindness for a conflict enjoyer, that can be tough because you know, a conflict enjoyer likes the rough and tumble of the whole thing. A conflict enjoyer likes the verbal thrust and parry and even the occasional put-down or the final word, the microphone drop moment, you know. Practicing kindness is a real antidote to that kind of behavior. Kindness isn't dodging the issue. It's approaching the issue with grace and with love. Have you ever heard how Jesus was described by his best friend John? Full of grace and truth. Grace is looking past people's imperfections and treating them with unconditional acceptance, unconditional love, full of grace and truth. Truth, yes, but grace before truth. So here are some behaviors that uh, <coughs> show kindness. First of all, kindness is how you approach other people. Assume the best about other people's motives, not the worst. And if you are feeling a bit uptight about something, well, just take a moment to process that. Let go of some of your, your anger and frustration before you open your mouth. And then don't be threatening in your body language or your attitude, you know, up, throat, up close and, and in, intimidating. Relax a bit. Secondly, kindness is also in your willingness to listen. Let the other person speak first. Are you going to have that on the thing? Yeah. Let the other person speak first. You know, that, that would be kind, wouldn't it, to let the other person speak first. And really listen to them. Not 
as a predator waiting to leap in and interrupt and rebuff them at the first sign of weakness, but listen with care and show some empathy so that you are validating what they are feeling. And then thirdly, kindness is in your genuine care for them. Ask them to explain why this issue is important to them. Ask them that. And use gracious words, not blunt or accusing words. You never do this or you always do that. You know, one of Solomon's other proverbs says, a, a harsh word stirs up anger, but a gentle answer turns away wrath. That's kindness, isn't it? A gentle answer that turns away wrath. I wonder which of these behaviours you could focus on on doing more consistently. Interesting checklist. Actually, it's not just about behaviours. It's really about the heart attitude behind them. Because if you're dealing with somebody who doesn't genuinely want to listen, it shows, doesn't it? You know, they may do some of these behaviours, but which is nice, you know, but you feel like they're going through the motions because real kindness in an argument is wanting to hear and understand as much as to be heard and understood. Kindness is I want to hear as much as be heard. Being open to having your opinion changed, that's really challenging, isn't it? Wanting to hear and understand as much as to be heard and understood. You know, wow, how I need this. How I need to pause before I speak and put on some kindness before I deliver the truth as I see it. How I need to exercise self-control and not bite back and keep my tone friendly and my, my attitude open. How I need more kindness. Kindness is a form of respect. Love is patient. Love is kind. I don't know if any of you have seen the film uh, Troy, which is about the Greek Trojan War where uh, Achilles, played by Brad Pitt, is the, the Greek warrior hero, and King Priam of Troy is played by an old guy called Peter O'Toole. And in this film, Achilles, the, the, the warrior, kills Priam's son, Hector. And he drags his dead body back to the Greek camp. And that night, Priam comes in to Achilles' tent in disguise as an old man. And he kneels down in front of Achilles and he, he kisses his hands and he asks Achilles for the body of Hector. He says, please give me the body of Hector because I would like to mourn over him and bury him properly. And Achilles is absolutely amazed by that. And he says to, to Priam, even if I give you Hector's body, we're still going to be enemies in the morning. And... Priam says, we're enemies now, but even enemies can show respect. And Achilles is won over by that. And he gives, he gives Priam his son's body. And as Priam's leaving the camp, he shouts out to him, you're a far better king than the one leading this army, <laughs> which I thought was rather good. You see, the soft power the so-called soft power of kindness is actually more powerful than the hard power of argument. And unkindness reaps its own consequences, doesn't it? If you're not kind, people, they just don't want to engage with you. 
If you, you, then they don't get to hear the truth because people don't want to share the pain of, of, of sharing it with you. So you lose relationships with other people. And maybe you don't even realize it. If you're in the, a leader in the workplace, uh, or in the home, or in the church, an unkind approach means that you can lose touch with people on the ground. You know, you lose touch with reality because people, they just avoid you. Yes, they may smile at you, but it's a veneer. Underneath, there's this wariness, this distrust of your ability to listen. So if the way you won arguments hurt other people, you may have got your own way, but you won't have got God's way. You won't have got God's way. Now, for conflict avoiders, the issue is different. For a conflict avoider like me, the other person deserves a better version of me than the me who always dodges the issue. You see? Because dodging the issue is not being honest. And if I'm not honest, then I've allowed fear to make me deceptive. And that's not being loyal in the relationship, is it? The issue is loyalty, and the cousin of loyalty is courage. Courage and commitment to speak the truth and not duck it. If I can't be honest and truthful and authentic and transparent, I'm not really being loyal. And I'm not committed to the relationship, am I? I'm not being faithful because I'm putting my own emotional preferences above honesty, and that's not loyal, and it undermines trust. Now, here are some behaviors that show loyalty. First, loyalty is in your courage to engage. Engage, rather than withdraw when conflict arises. Be proactive and straightforward in challenging something that needs to be addressed, rather than always waiting for the other person to raise it. Secondly, loyalty is in your authenticity and your honesty. Be honest and graciously clear in what you say because you want the best for them and for us. And don't try to minimize or ignore how you feel. Ignore your own feelings in, an, in some sort of effort to maintain harmony. Explain how you feel and why you feel that way. Authenticity and honesty. And then thirdly, loyalty is in your clarity and in your commitment. Explain why the issue matters to you. And do that graciously. Don't say, you stink, because that's unkind. And don't fog up your language. Your halitosis prevents my intimacy. What? <laughs> you know, say, when you don't clean your teeth, your breath smells. Say it simply, and then people get it. So I wonder which of these behaviors on this checklist you might want to focus on here with loyalty. Now, once again, you can do all these things, but if your heart's not in it, that will show. Because the heart of loyalty is being truly committed to the other person, a commitment that is stronger than the fear of hurt. I would rather engage and risk my emotions than not be committed to you. That's what loyalty is. I would rather engage and risk my emotions than not be committed to you. Now, let me just give you a word of caution about this. This is for everyday, normal relationships, healthy relationships. If you're in a repeatedly abusive relationship, either at work or at home, I am not saying that you should knowingly put yourself in harm's way by being loyal. 
If you're in an abusive relationship at home or at work, you need some outside help to confront the bully. Otherwise, you will live in fear all the time. You may even need to leave that situation. But in everyday, normal, reasonably healthy relationships, loyalty and commitment is important for a conflict avoider. Actually, I would hate to be thought of as disloyal. I'm sure you would as well. I would hate to be thought of like that. Uh, you know, not committed. I'm, I would rather have a difficult conversation because I am committed to you than I would be disloyal by dodging the issue. I'd rather risk my emotions in an argument than be disloyal. So there you have it. Kindness for conflict enjoyers, loyalty for conflict avoiders. Now, here's the thing. If I were to stop there, we'd have given you some great advice. You probably could have got that from a decent management training program. But this is church. There's more to it than that. There is a God dimension to this. There is a faith dimension to it. And I'll explain why. It's because kindness and loyalty are the qualities of God himself. In fact, there's an incident in the Old Testament of the Bible where uh, a guy called Moses meets up with God. And uh, God declares his own name to Moses. He kind of reveals something about himself. And this is what he says. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Abounding in love and faithfulness. That is what God is like. And you see the link to kindness and loyalty. If we really love others, we will want to be kind to them and understand them and be loyal and stick with them. So when we practice kindness and loyalty, when we practice love and faithfulness, as it says here, we are practicing the very qualities of God himself. So there is a dimension to handling conflict well which involves being like God. And the only way you can be anything like God is by being dependent on God for his qualities within you. If you read about the conflicts that Jesus had when he was on earth, you can see these qualities of kindness and, and loyalty coming through. I mean, for example, after one of uh, his followers, Peter, famously denied he even knew Jesus three times before Jesus was crucified. After the resurrection, Peter met Jesus again. How embarrassing. <laughs> but Jesus didn't bawl him out. He had every right to do so, but he didn't. He didn't dodge the issue either. He simply asked Peter a question. And he asked it three times, which was an echo of Peter's three times denial. Do you love me? Is what he asked him. Now that was both kind and faithful. Kind and loyal, because on the one hand, it was poignant. You know, the three times question forced Peter to confront the issue. But it was done in a thoughtful and a kind way that didn't damage him. Jesus had a, a reconciling spirit in his approach. And that's the key to unity, isn't it? Not the absence of conflict, but the presence of a reconciling spirit. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you've asked him into your life, 
then you have that same spirit of God living within you. So you don't just have the good advice of Solomon in Proverbs, you also have the spirit, which means you have the capability and the motivation from God to live like this. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness, one of Jesus' followers, Peter, has written. If you're a Jesus follower, you have God's kindness and loyalty, his love and his faithfulness living within you. God makes a difference in your life. So even if the person that you're in conflict with doesn't behave well, you can still behave well. You can still choose to behave differently, just like God does in the face of a misbehaving humanity. In fact, the conflict is often not so much with the other person. It's with the selfish nature that's inside me. You know, the real conflict is whether I will depend on God and surrender to his ways of love and faithfulness and kindness and loyalty, or whether I'm going to turn back to my own selfish, dysfunctional behaviors of bullying or dodging the issue or any number of other things in an argument. That's the real battle, isn't it? God's spirit versus my selfish nature. You see, I can't control the other person's behavior, but I can control my behavior if I choose to allow God's spirit to overcome my own self-centeredness so that I choose to fight graciously and truthfully. And I can't fake that. I can't just force myself to be kind and honest if I'm not really leaning on God. Because in the end, the strain will be too much and my facade will, will crack. I may be able to hold it together for a while, but at some point in the end, all that pent-up anger and emotional suppression will eventually spill out. The only authentic way to put kindness and loyalty into action is to ask God for his help and then trust him and choose to act out of the love and faithfulness he has put within you. Relying on God to be kind and faithful through you, because God is kind and loyal. He is loving and faithful, and when we choose to act on that, he is flowing from the inside out to other people. And this principle of God dependency applies to this whole series. You know, choosing to help and relate to people, uh, choosing to love, choosing to listen and receive feedback, choosing to fight well, they're all dimensions of God's perfect character. We haven't just been inviting you to take some good advice. We have been inviting you to lean into God and draw on the character of God and the power of God for your everyday life and relationships. This isn't just training or therapy. This is about authentic life change based on the grace and the goodness of God who enables us. Now, you may not yet be a Jesus follower. And you may be thinking, well, this is all very fine. But, you know, where do I get all this divine power to live differently, if it even exists? Well, if you want it, just ask God. Just ask God. That's how you get the spirit and the power to live differently. You ask. It's free from God. That's the good news of the gospel. Because of what Jesus has done on our behalf, we are not only accepted and loved by God, but we have free access to God in prayer and we are able to receive from him. And if you think that's all a load of psychological mumbo-jumbo, well, just try it. Just try it and see. 
Because the experience of generations of believers is that when we truly open ourselves up to God and we lean into God and we trust God and we act on that basis, he releases within us what we need to live well. Jesus makes us live better and he makes us better at life. Just imagine what conflict would be like if kindness and loyalty were the hallmarks of our approach. Imagine what love and faithfulness would do to our conflicts. They would be gracious yet authentic. We wouldn't have to psych ourselves up or dodge issues or separate to get any peace. We would be better able to understand each other, respect each other, get on with each other. Our friendships, our work relationships, our marriages, our families, even our church family would be so much better. We might not be able to resolve every conflict, but we would be able to live in a better climate of relationships. So what do you want to do about this? You know, if you're a conflict avoider, are you willing to trust God and engage and risk your emotions rather than be disloyal? If you're a conflict enjoyer, are you willing to want to hear and understand as much as to be heard and understood? When we've clothed the service and you've had a coffee and you've gone home, what will be different? Will it be just good advice soon forgotten? Or will you seek a living relationship with God who fills you with his character? Will you lean into God for help and act on what he says? I know what I want to do. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be loving and faithful. I want to be both caring and clear. I want to be both compassionate and committed. I want to be kind and loyal. I want to be more like God and depend on God for that. Let's pray for a moment. Father, thank you for your great example of grace and truth, of kindness and loyalty to us. Forgive us where we have been unkind or disloyal in our conflicts. We bring before you the conflicts we have. We forgive those who have hurt us just as you forgave us. We forgive those who have not been honest with us. And we pray to be filled with your love and faithfulness and trust you to help us as we handle conflict in the future. May your righteousness, your peace, and your joy in the Holy Spirit be the hallmark of our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.